Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a special guest to choose a story, to watch it, nominate their favourite things about it, then I have to watch, commentate and guess what those favourite things are. Hi there, Toby, and hi everyone. My name is Jess Jerkovic. I'm a jazz pianist, arranger, composer in New York City. And most recently, in the last four years, I've been doing a YouTube project called The Dudley Simpson Is Doctor Who Project, where I transcribe my favorite bits of Dudley Simpson music and create a solo piano arrangement of those pieces. Just recently finished the series, uh, that would have been October 2021, doing uh, 41 pieces of music. Although I'm in New York City now, I grew up in a suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota, where I would have seen Doctor Who at about 1982-ish. I was about eight years old, and I was lucky enough to have a VCR, so I recorded everything that they put out. And of course, we started with Tom Baker, and then worked our way forward, but then also worked our way back. And eventually, by the early 90s or so, I would have seen everything that existed in its entirety, or at least everything that they sent to the PBS stations. Which is why my choice of viewing with you, Toby, is perhaps a little strange, because I'm choosing Fury from the Deep. That's, of course, a missing story, but somewhere around the early 2000s, I started getting hold of the audio CDs with narration and eventually collected them all. And apart from the Dalek stories, which I could listen to over and over again, one of my absolute favorites became that story. And of course, just recently it came out on Blu-ray and so now I can watch animated versions and reconstructed versions uh, as well. So before we get started, since I'm a musician, you might easily suspect that since Dudley Simpson scored Fury from the Deep, I could choose the music for all six episodes, and of course, the answer is yes. But to make things more interesting, and perhaps make me be a little bit more creative, I will choose the music for only one of my choices. So I figured I should let you know in advance uh, that I'm not allowing myself to be too musical in my choices. Let's get started then. Well, welcome everybody. You just heard Jess Jerkovic there, who I've not met, but I was delighted to take part in the quiz of Rassilon, uh, which is an online uh, event. Uh, well, it's sometimes it's not, it's in person, but uh, it went online during the pandemic. Uh, and like my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, it sort of went, well, why don't we open this up to the rest of the world? And we benefited uh, doing that with the comedy, um, encountering comedians and punters that we uh, would otherwise have been denied us by geography. And the Quiz of Rassilon during the pandemic uh, did what Doctor Who did in, in many areas and, and hearteningly so. And I'm desperately uncynical uh, about the fact that when we were all a little bit shut down uh, and, and feeling a little bit as though we weren't quite sure what we were doing. And I was fortunate. I had people in this house, but I know not everybody was as lucky as I am. I had a dog. Um, you know, people around the world stuck in their own homes, you know, w without an income in many cases, um, and certainly without, you know, proximity to people in other cases, sometimes both of those things, um, were brought together by daft old Doctor Who. 
and I uh, encountered um, a, a number of people doing that quiz who brought their own specialisms to the quiz questions. I think I did mine on character actors, I'm sure. Um, uh, oh, and the quiz of Razalon uh, is, is spearheaded by one of the nicest people in the world, uh, Michael Williams, um, who's just one of those people that teaches you to just be cheerful and uh, and, and enjoy life and Doctor Who and on people um, and the quiz of Rassilon you know brought different people to, together to do their particular rounds and as I say I was lucky enough to do it a couple of times um, and and it's really interesting you know hearing from people who come to Doctor Who with their own as I say specialism mine is spotting actors I, I guess um, and, and some people were people who um, you know, were much more brought up in the shadow of the newer series. So their quiz questions all about that. Edward Russell did uh, stuff about what was in the charts when Doctor Who stories were on, which is a brilliant thing and a, a, and a greatly evocative thing that sort of, um, you know, makes you think back to that time and think, oh, yeah, but which Doctor Who story is that when that was on? That was a really uh, clever quiz. And of course, there's nothing like a bit of nostalgic music. Um, there was, uh, you know, questions about... Um, uh, all sorts of different, as I say, areas that you can mine Doctor Who for, that you can put your own specialism into. Uh, there was somebody talking about Doctor Who from a black perspective, which, of course, is hugely educational to somebody like me and, uh, you know, throws different light on a, on a multifaceted subject. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Amanda Ray Prescott, uh, who uh, is, is from America as well, as is... Jess Jerkovic and his specialism is music and his YouTube channel is somewhere you can get lost forever I, I, I mean just watching him play uh, you know I never thought I'd be able to lose 15 minutes watching somebody play the music from the chase on a piano I, I did really easily and then more and more and more and and I just warmed so much to Jess's enthusiasm which I think comes across in his introduction there and I do like I really it's really interesting that we uh, you know, when I was younger, you know, Doctor Who, I thought the appeal of it, it's British and it's it's a very British thing and only the British get it. And I've, I've been really, uh, as a sort of taught that I was wrong in a way that, that my encounters with American Doctor Who fans have been extremely positive. I love I love the sort of openness and lack of self-consciousness uh, about um, Jesse's presentation there where, you know, it's just an unabashed... Uh, enjoyment of something and a, and a uh and a very sort of honest and polite and open i i like the way that uh american facts fans conduct themselves um and and it's you know a, to hear a different voice and a different kind of presentation about how how one talks about doctor who because i've probably spent most of my time talking to you know cynical british fans after a couple of pints in a pub whatever if i've really been talking about doctor uh and it's yeah it's great it's it's been one of the it's been one of the really interesting things of the sort of last 10 years of my life is is of meeting people um you know beyond the sort of group of people geography would throw me uh into you know what i mean um so uh i i had to approach jess uh and jess has chosen well, we're doing a Troughton. We're doing a season five. Now, I feel bad for loads of my friends who, because I've had loads of Troughtons chosen, but they've all been from season six or season four. 
nobody's doing season five, which when I was a time tot was the classic season Doctor Who. Well, they've been chosen, but they haven't done the videos. That's the thing. Jess is the only one who's chosen a season five story who's actually come up with the goods. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I've done the Dominators recently. Um, uh, and so I, I, and I've done the Seeds of Death and I've done the Highlanders and I've done Evil of the Daleks. So even though I have somebody who longer ago than Jess uh, submitted a mind robber to me and a war games to me, they will have to wait because I, 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 I try to sort of mix these up a bit. I needed to do a Troughton, so I'm doing my only season five. This is a story that I have all sorts of really interesting bonds with. And it's a curious story and an odd and an odd entry into the canon. And it's also one that is, alas, completely missing. So come with me on what might be a quite a personal journey for Fury from the Deep. So I, 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 I start this with probably going, I have no hope of getting any points for this unless I choose the music that's, that's on the same episode that Jess does. And I'm going to watch the photo reconstruction as I always will with these because I think the animations, much as I enjoy them, are a thing in and of themselves and I will probably be talking about, you know, certain choices of the animation rather than, I think, trying to get, you know, to grips with the story as it was made and broadcast originally. So that's, and that's not to denigrate or be pejorative about the animations, which I like and think are very good and uh, I think Gary also did a great job with this, but that's a separate and very different conversation. Um... But uh, full marks for the big tentacles that come out and attack the helicopter in episode six. I think if you know, if if you're going to do an animation, why not do that sort of stuff? I'm, I'm, and I wouldn't have said that twenty years ago when they were doing the invasion things. I was like, this has to be as close to broadcast as possible. As I've learnt to understand the animations more and the processes behind them, I realise it's actually impossible because it's a different medium. So you then may as well, I would say, especially as we have the reconstructions, which try and capture the original i think uh, i think a bit of carte blanche with what you can do with the uh, animations is fine that's a different story but that's just my two penneth worth so uh shall we all go to the beach uh, i hope you've packed a tartan uh, rug uh, a thermos and some uh cling film sandwiches that just have a corner of the cling film missing so that actually when you open it the, the, the tomatoes have leaked out and made the blooming bread a bit wet so that's unpleasant but but also the wind has blown some sand in which has of course got in through that corner so you're having crunchy soggy egg and tomato sandwiches <laughs> oh the british holiday what could make it worse how about a deadly seaweed monster let us go and see if we can uh, find ourselves uh, getting uh, told off uh, by all the furiousness that is coming from the deep and i'm going to Play all reconstruction in three, two, one. So this is a very special story uh, to me. It is, it was, so full disclosure, this is going to be quite personal, I think. This was, for many years, the story I would tell people is my favourite Doctor Who story. And I think there's a bit of psychology that goes with that, I think, because uh, when I first encountered it, it was a kind of... It's the only story by Victor Pemberton. Uh, it was a kind of... sort of blank entry into the canon in a way, 
because oh and here we have we start with moving pictures this is so promising isn't it and this is of course uh, lifted from the war games where the war games used this footage of the TARDIS landing on the sea again but I remember being quite disappointed that oh they fade from one picture to another that's just uh, that's the 60s going well we, we can't we can't do it both ways that, that happens with the Dominator spaceship doesn't it where they where they have sort of three different shots that they can't quite merge perfectly together um, and, I, and, I, and I got very edgy when I saw that in the war games and went oh the one bit we've got Fury from the Deep it's actually a compromised shot is the compromise that they have to fade the TARDIS from one to another? Um, I mean, you'd, you'd sort of maybe go for a different angle, wouldn't you? Rather than try and sort of cheat it like that. But is it worth it to have that TARDIS spinning from the sky? I think it's a great shot and a great idea and a, and a novel opening. And I'm, as I say, I'm less self-conscious about that, uh, about that now. But um, uh, Fury from the Deep, when one sort of learnt about Doctor Who early on, uh, I had uh, Doctor Who Celebration, the book, and the 20th anniversary Radio Time special. That's what gave us our praises of of, of the Doctor Who stories that uh, that had that had um, been broadcast so far. There was no there was no novel, um, uh, and and it was you know it was the story where Victoria left. That was a that's what kind of had it out as a landmark. Um, uh, and and then it's oh it's also the first one that the sonic screwdriver appears in. Um, what about the story itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's scary, um, and it has a seaweed monster. But but it was it was it was one I didn't really I couldn't really conjure a picture of. And the only picture, well, the only pictures we had were the, 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 these three on the beach, um, uh, and a, a shot of the seaweed monster towering over a man, and it looked like it was sort of it had risen from the water and was turning its head at the same time because of the way that the picture had been framed. Actually, it's a it's a special effects picture, and the man in shot is not a character. I don't think he's, he's getting sort of. Um, and I had a colouring book at the same time that was sort of pictures of that was had the ghoul and it was it was quite a scary colouring book that had and I and it was reminiscent of one of the pictures of them of in there of something sort of that picture in the Radio Times special it felt like this this weed creature was a big towering monstrosity because it it was sort of as I say it was sort of like it was turning and its head was looking down um, uh, and that was pretty much all, all we had. Um, here we have the the first appearance of the sonic screwdriver, the Woodstock of Doctor Who. I, uh, I, 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 I pretty much everybody involved with this says uh, yes, it was it was my idea. Now, and if you look carefully, there is a there is a theory, isn't there, that that, that the prop didn't work and 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 or, or somebody had forgotten the prop, and that Patrick Troughton just improvises with a whistle, um, or with with something from his life jacket, but uh, that the sonic screwdriver used in Fury is is not the sonic screwdriver as we know it uh it looks like he's got an actual screwdriver in his hand there but that would be an interesting thing to see exactly how it manifests itself when uh, when the episode turns up a bit like professor zaroff's octopus uh, it might be uh, hugely disappointing um uh, or slightly unusual or or in, in fact not much to write home about either way but wouldn't it be nice to know and half of the fun is finding out that stuff um and, and there's something wonderful about Troughton in a bobble hat isn't there <laughs> with a stethoscope and of course the the you know you got the lovely little bits of seaweed clinging there which um and seaweed is quite sort of wet and slimy and creepy it's a it's a great idea to go what should we make scary I know seaweed 
uh, oh, and, and they're being watched, which is nicer. You know, yes, we know we're going to another base under siege, but uh, it, it early on, just that, oh, they're being eavesdropped upon, does have a slightly creepy tone to it in 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 a way unlike, I think, the way that this kind of thing is is often done. Uh, and the music is very nice and low-key. And giving. and so, yes, and so they get zapped, don't they? They get knocked out, which is, you know, so it's quite a slow introduction. Um, but, yes, so we had that, that we had that picture in the, in the Radio Times 20th anniversary special. And that was that was kind of it. Um, and and didn't, certainly didn't have pictures of any of the other characters or anything like that. And it was when Doctor Who magazine announced that the the novel was being reviewed next month. And it's a very special novel, they said. It's like, well, why are they? Be, why is it being a special novel with this story that we? That I don't really know the story of particularly. Um, and I thought, oh, if they found loads of pictures of it, or is it, is it one that's got a cast list in it? That to me was gold dust. Um, is you know, is it a big hardback coffee table version for some reason? No. And and the answer was no. It's just a lot longer uh, because Victor Pemberton has, has has done such a good job on it. They don't want to. They don't want to cut it. But he's exceeded the word count. And so, of course, I uh, and, and Gary Russell reviewed it in Doc Two magazine, and I never forgave him because he said things like, um, uh, "You know, when Van Lutyens is," and I loved the fact that it had a character called Van Lutyens that made it seem slightly sort of esoteric and slightly sort of grown up, and and more so than I think the way that Wheel in Space does it, which is the sort of Star Trekky way. Is uh, it has a multicultural crew, which is a which is a. Uh, a, a you know, evidence of a progressiveness in the 60s that, that is good uh, and, a, and an attempt to sort of say it's not just England going into space uh, and all of that, which is great. Um, but 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 that's that's not what this is. This 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 seems this this is very much an, you know, an English base under siege. But the, the fact that it's got a Dutchman coming in to to do what he does. Uh, makes it seem a bit more sort of grounded and sort of real and just just you know changes the voices up and changes the just even the names on the list of characters and van lutchen seemed like such an interesting kind of character especially as um when gary russell said you know when he goes into the pipes he isn't coming back out when he goes down to the impeller he isn't coming back out again and i started reading the book and i liked the character of van lutchen's and and you know when i was more than halfway through and he still hadn't gone down to the impeller to not come back out again i was a bit annoyed with gary russell for because i was going well i know when he goes down to the impeller he's not coming out again because you've told me um, <laughs> um uh, Gary, by the way, is this is not something I wouldn't and probably haven't said to him. He is somebody I admire and like very much, uh, and indeed did the uh, animation of this so brilliantly. Um, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I read the book and I loved it, uh, and of course, it became my favourite story, even though I'd never seen it. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was young. Um, I, you know, I like to think of myself as somebody who knew my Doctor Who. And then, of course, when I got the Radio Times book and the Doctor Who celebration, I went, well, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Stephen Taylor or a Celestial Child. I'd never heard of any of these things because um, I'd, I'd not had access to loads of copies of Doctor Who magazine. Um, so I knew Doctor Who via the Target books or the few DWMs that, I, that had got episode guides that I'd read or, you know, what whatever in the Doctor Who archives. Um, I was quite surprised that uh, Harris had a moustache. Um, I know Roy Spencer as an actor, uh, and and he was still doing stuff, you know, in the 80s. I remember he cropped up. There was a couple of episodes in EastEnders where he cropped up. I think um, 
Mr. Range, William Lucas was in them as well. It was a couple of those episodes of EastEnders where they take it out of a square, out of the square, and have a little jaunt somewhere. And so there was a sort of quite a the, the guest characters actually ended up doing quite a lot. And, and Roy Spencer was in in that. Was he something? Was he somebody to do with a hotel or something? Um, and he and he would pop up in things still. Um, and. Ah, now the guard here is Peter Duckrow, and you do not see him. So in the in the animation, I know they have him as a figure, and then, and I'll say this to Gary as well: credit him for loads of episodes where they just have a guard and go, oh, we'll, we'll credit Peter Duckrow. Peter Duckrow was uh, a friend of who was he a friend of? I was reading something the other day. Anyway, he's the face in Adam Adamant Lives. Uh, yeah, he was a friend of Donald Cotton. That's right, Peter. Uh, and he, his name was something different or a longer version of that. Anyway, Peter Duckrow was a voice actor. So, as the guard, uh, now that doesn't mean he's just a voice actor, but he was an actor who specialised in 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 doing voices. So he got a lot of voice work. You can see what he looks like in um, A for Andromeda in one of the surviving episodes. Of that he's sort of bald and got a moustache, but he did a lot of voice work. Um, and he was a he was a conviv he was one of the, uh, 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 the the convivial bunch that hung around with Donald Cotton. I think they're all big drinkers and probably quite big characters. Um, I don't think Duckrow was hugely old when he died. Um, uh, and yeah, he's the face in Adam Adamant Lives. So, but you know, for the guards, they just need a voice and a loudspeaker because that's all they have to prevent Maggie from getting into the into the base so they go well who, who should we get to play the guard well if, as we only get the voice let's get somebody who's a good voice so that's why it's peter duckrow who i think you, you wouldn't have cast if it was uh if it was somebody who was a guard that you saw in person that was you know holding her up at the main gate or whatever um and is it i think it might have been pronounced peter ducrow as well peter ducrow that's better isn't it yeah if you're an actor you got it's i think you'll find it's ducrow um, Graham Lehman here playing a character who spends most of his time seated. This is going to this is important. I will mention this. I have already mentioned it in the Seeds of Death. Uh, he plays Price, the guy on the radio. Uh, and um, uh, oh, and this is uh, John Garvin as Carney, uh, who is seen at the other end. We don't see him again after this. But John Garvin was still around in the 80s as well, I think. Um You'll guess now. The reason I'm mentioning all of these actors by name, I mean, I, I can do it with every story. I'm afraid that's not a boast. It's an affliction. It's not a skill. Um, but this was the first story. I, I could remember the whole cast list to, uh, and I didn't sit and learn this stuff. I was interested to know who was in things, uh, and I think if I was going to try and imagine what Fury from the Deep was like, it was important to me to as I said I didn't sit and study this stuff but it's the stuff that sunk in um, and actually when I found because I, I remember when I read the book I had no idea I knew some cast lists from, from Doctor Who at this point because I'd got episode guides and things like that and it was when I borrowed my friend's Doctor Who the programme guide which I've never owned uh, but I borrowed my friend David Merrick's uh, the programme guide so of course I went straight to Fury from the Deep to see who the actors were and loads of them were actors that I knew so yeah, Hubert Reese here playing the playing the uh, uh the, the the chief engineer is in is in uh, Seeds of Doom and and the War Games, but was also in a lot of telly at the time. Roy Spencer, I think I I 
did I know? But I was pleased to see he was also in the Ark, uh, which existed, so I'd be able to know what he looked like. And uh, when I did see him, you know, that he's this sort of fresh-faced... He is a sort of person with an honest face and quite an honest sort of open voice he has as well. He has a sort of gentle goodness about him, Roy Spencer. So he's exactly pretty much as I imagined Harris to be, except for the moustache. So he's very good casting. Um, I think he told me that... that um, he'd got this through the BBC's casting so he's, it's actually quite a good part to be playing for somebody that I'd, uh, I don't think knew the director had been put up by one of the bigger agents I think he'd, I think he'd got it through the internal BBC casting which, uh, which is a nice part to be getting I think that's a, that's, a, that's a progressive and decent way to cast such an important part actually um, but it does need somebody who's got a sort of bit of fresh faced newness about them even though he'd been in Doctor a couple of years before playing the lovely maniac in the ark with a with a very fetching pudding bowl haircut uh um uh, uh and victor madden I, I, crucially i didn't think i knew and then i asked my granddad who was n not an expert on actors but he was one of those granddads that n knew everything and indulged uh, a young person he was uh, he'd left school uh, i think when he was 11 he was one of about nine kids and he'd been to a special school i.e. he was in a he was in a he was in a children's home they'd come from a very very poor background um and because he'd been denied an education he soaked up all knowledge my granddad so he knew about you could ask him about anything and he kind of knew him. i would say granddad do you know i like to call Vic victor victor madden and he went oh, i think it's victor madden and i called him victor madden for years and granddad grandpa was actually wrong uh, but he went yeah he's got a sort of chin and he's in all the war films you know him you know and actually then when i did see him and stuff I went oh that guy yeah 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 um but i'd, I'd not known his name and i'd certainly not associated it with doctor who and victor madden was a hugely recognizable actor um and i think he's very good in this um and i mean would would you know at a certain period of British films would make like three films in one day because he was just around. They go, Vic, can you come and do, play an engineer in this scene? And he'd got, he, he did play big parts in some films as well. Or if he was in a film where he's only in a couple of scenes, like Dunkirk, I think he's only in the one scene, but it's a, he's, it's a really important scene and he gets proper billing because he's, uh, you know, because he's a featured actor and, it's, and, and the scene that he's in, he does a lot in. June Murphy, Roy Spencer and June Murphy, they seem the right sort of names to be playing, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Harris. June Murphy, I was then delighted to see, uh, was in The Sea Devils because I'd know what she would look like because, again, the idea that there was such a thing as a telesnap. Um, no, so, and I don't think there are any photos of the guest cast in this that aren't telesnaps oh there's a few aren't there? there's a few of 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 robson in the helicopter but i think but i don't think they came out till later i know victor madden had one because he said he'd send it to me and then he but he didn't um but i interviewed him I, I interviewed him i exchanged letters with him not that long before he died and the interview um as it was appeared in doctor magazine after he died um peter kindred is the designer the the harris's flat is uh an interesting looking one although um uh, hugh, hugh david the director who we have no episodes of he directed the highlanders and this seems to be shooting from some you know through the sets quite interestingly um uh so yes and 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 actually gradually as one one you know read back i then went sort of back to 
to to to read about the story that had suddenly plucked my interest that I'd sort of drawn a bit of a blank with um you know the the general feeling seemed to be oh it was you know it was a particularly scary one which you can't really get from still pictures or even particularly from the soundtrack you have to know what the camera was showing you or not showing you how the atmosphere was created through you know soundtrack and and, and, and performance and, and how you decide to frame the actors and, and how how you know you inject atmosphere visually in ways that can't be replicated even from you know from from a from a snapshot and of course the character of van Lutyens who arrives now who i was delighted you know as i say was a character that i really liked because i just i i think i just like the realism that i get mocked for using the word verisimilitude but the guy the fact that you've got this guy who comes from you know another part of the company who's, who's sort of in charge of sort of admin but but um he's you know he's representing the interests of of the people in in holland um as i say just di dilutes the 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 timbre of the of the of the shouty men and there's a lot of shouty men in this i quite like drama that shouty men you know i'm 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 a sucker for sort of you know yeah we need to sell this. Uh, uh, we need to make a sale and make it quick. You, I will. You're a, you're a tough businessman. You're a bastard, but I respect you, uh, and all of that sort of thing. Um, uh, I was brought up on drama like that, um, and 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 so anyway as i was and van lutchens is is the one that kind of you know is the only one that will stand up to robson who needs standing up to because he is um uh in incomprehensibly stubborn from the very beginning uh and yes and he's and he sounds like he's swearing in holland there isn't he sounds like he's swearing in the foreign um and and john abenary you know, it was great casting in in foreign parts. He was a he was a multilingual. Well, that's the thing. John Abenary was an actor that I'd I'd already liked and latched onto because he was her and the hunter in Robin Sherwood, and I knew he was General Carrington in the Ambassadors of Death. And then he was Van Lutyen's in Fury from the Deep, and it made so much sense. And Richard Mays playing Chief Baxter here, who we only see on a screen, was again in the eighties when I was discovering this stuff, was a leading figure at the National Theatre. Uh, he was he was playing all sorts of lead roles on the British stage and getting good reviews in because I flicked through my mum's copy of the Guardian, and you know Richard Mays was playing all sorts of lead lead characters, and he's a tiny part in the best Doctor Who story. Uh, uh, and uh, he was also in the film Top Secret around this time as a as a as a as a, as a composer conductor music man and he always had a sort of big he had this sort of prominent nose and big beard of a of a of a great classical actor so so it just seemed that everything from from that I, the, everything that I was sort of noticing then was linking back to this story uh, th th you know that I was noticing now in the present was linking back to this story then that I'd, I'd got this sort of special feeling about um I mean, it's all nonsense. We just see patterns in what's there, don't we? But it just seemed, it, and I liked the, and I cannot lie and say there wasn't something that made me feel a bit 
like a connoisseur if people said what's your favorite doctor who story i mean nobody ever asked but if people would say what's your favorite doctor who story i'd go uh fury from the deep they'd go i, I don't know that one yeah well i mean it's it's a it's a missing trout story but it's absolutely brilliant people go wow you really do know your stuff if you like a if you like a story that that hasn't been seen since 1960 what not you know <laughs> So, you know, some, anyone can say Genesis of the Daleks or the Caves of Androzani. But to say Fury from the Deep, oh, gosh, I would have been, uh, oh, I, I would have been rare fruit in certain social situations that <laughs> never existed. But I have to admit, I kind of liked that idea of myself as being somebody that, that you know, knew and loved Doctor Who so much that, you know, I, I wasn't going to be giving obvious answers. Um Oh, no, I've not seen this picture, so I wonder if it's a composite or if it's just one that... If it's just because they do have access to all sorts of lovely pictures in these uh, reconstructions, which are so well done. I love this piece of music. It's a, it's a really great piece of music. I'm sure Jess will describe it better than that. The num num burbly blur music. Um, and, of course, it's it's Victoria's last story, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um but uh, but yeah, so it all it all just seemed to come together. This to be uh, a favourite story of mine, uh, and it was only when I did it for running through corridors where I watched the the series in order that I that that I actually you know started seeing a, a bit of a chink in in Fury's armour. And after a number of stories of quite a similar hue, uh, it, it it did seem to be you know a bit of more of the same. And I think there's a particular problem with it is that is that it does have men shouting at each other about whether to turn off the gas or not. And and Rob, Robson's thing about going, well, I've never turned it off before, so why should I turn it off now? It's, it's like say, there's a fire. Open the fire doors. Yes, but I've never opened the fire doors up until this point, so I'm definitely not going to do it now. Especially not if I'm told by a Dutchman and somebody who's been to university. <laughs> and I think Victor Madden does it well. Um, and I think actually his when he does the paranoia and the breakdown stuff, I think he's excellent. Um, but I I I think there is an issue with the story that Robson starts off as a as an intransigent jerk and uh, f for no real reason other than that he's stubborn um, which is a shame um, but I I think there is still a lot to recommend this and I'm hoping that uh, revisiting it now where um, you know all that love that I've that I've talked of that is that I have to say I'm now remembering and I'm remembering the joy of, of discovering that. And I, and I got the soundtrack, you see, I got it on a cassette, but this is before it was done with narration where it, I mean, it never mind the heartbeat. It was like, I was listening to it beneath the sea. Um, but, but the part of the fun of that is trying to, trying to sort of discern everything and make it out. And actually the performances help there because Victor Madden's got, uh, he's got a very distinctive voice. Uh, and John Abenelli was doing the Dutch thing, and 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 I think Madden was a bit higher because of the tape, and and John Abenelli was a bit deeper because of the because of the tape and because of the multi generational thing. So that that you know the performances sort of stuck out quite nicely, um, uh, and of course these guys are just fantastic. Uh, I mean, I mean, but by now Fraser Hines and Patrick Troughton can do this stuff in their sleep, but they they don't. I don't think they're ever they're ever lazy. 
um you know i got to know fraser a bit and, and and i think he's somebody who always wants to bring value to what he does you know he'll never phone in a performance he's not a he's not a lazy actor so even though he can do this sort of stuff sort of almost second nature he's, he's always you know aware that the, the audience need to keep being invested in this because of what you bring to it as a character this looks great on the uh on the uh reconstruction but you know and, and this could look one of two things this could look extraordinary with shapeless writhing terrifying uh seaweed or it could be a couple of plastic fronds that aren't 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 very movable that just sort of stick out and and waggle about in in some uh in some uh soap suds uh i'd love to find out and i yeah i used to i i i and, and as i say i uh i think it was when i it was when i i remembered carney was played by john garvin and quill by bill burridge Oak John Gill Quill Bill Burridge. That's how I remembered it. Uh, and I, went, I, I was in my friend's car. I remember. And I was thinking about Fury from the Deep. And I, and I suddenly realised, oh my goodness, I can, I can do the whole cast of that story, uh, uh, without having to look it up. And eventually, I was able to do that with every single Doctor Who story. And I think I could probably, I can do that still. <laughs> now, I think you'd probably just for me to get some stories complete you'd have to you'd have to read the character and i tell you the actor um but most i could probably i could probably do not so good with the new series that's a lot of actors but i'm okay i'm okay um i wish i could do other things better <laughs> but it was a it was a nice thing for me that i had i had that in my head and, and, I, and i'm quite pleased that i still have it now and it meant that when i watched other programs as i say uh, or uh, you know, I would see John Gill in an episode of All Creatures Great and Small, and go, "Oh, that's Mister Mister Oak." Uh, and uh, as I say, most of these actors were still about at that time uh, as well um, in the in the eighties. Uh, and I have letters from John Abenary, Victor Madden, and Roy Spencer uh, upstairs. Um, might throw those in for patrons as an extra. Uh, yes, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. So, Jess Jerkovic uh, is going to tell me his favourite thing from episode one after I have chosen my favourite thing from episode one. Which, oh, it's interesting, isn't it? What do, What's my... Um... Is it the is it the TARDIS landing on the sea? Is it the is it just that sea setting? Uh, the heartbeat's got to go at some point, and I wonder if it's worth getting that in early, even though it doesn't feature hugely prominently right at the moment. I think as a motif throughout the story, it is genius, uh, and that really helped. In, you know, when you're listening to the soundtrack as well. Well, that's that's all there, and and I, I think a menace that you can that manifests itself in your ears first is a is a really creepy nice idea uh, i like the fact that van lutchens is dutch i don't know why it just lends it something i like his name uh i i i like the fact that he as i say he breaks up the the sort of voices that you're hearing i love the fact that he's john avenary who was an actor that uh, was that became a favorite of mine um and and is in 
you know, and is a great servant to Doctor Who. It's General Carrington, the Ambassadors of Death, another favourite Doctor Who story of mine. Another one that I very much enjoy championing because it goes against the grain of what is uh, is commonly felt. I think, uh, and then he and he's ranked, he's he's it, it wasted in uh, Death to the Daleks, directed by Michael Bryant, who is production assistant or assistant floor manager on this. He also cast June Murphy in the Sea Devils. Anyway, hang on, what am I doing? Because I've got six long episodes. Uh, of, of very few moving pictures to, to, to do all that stuff in so um, I like Victor Madden but like Jess not choosing the music I've got to be careful not just to choose all of the actors uh, I, I love the sort of sea setting I love the fact that the monster is seaweed I think that's a great idea do I come with that this early um i like that sort of bleak cold beach you know they don't they they don't ever try and sort of go you know like in the curse of fenric when it's like come into this water it's lovely and warm even though we're clearly both dying of hypothermia um it, it's it you know the sea is bleak the sea is pretty grim the sea is inky black and has unknown depths and is cold and is you know and it's you know and it's powerful and, uh, and maybe i'm putting a bit of this onto it because we can't see the episodes um but you know the, the, the beach scenes are quite sort of bleak and sweeping and of course have that have those bits of seaweed lying around and uh, have that pipe you know with seaweed clinging to it and the and, and the foam which you know, foam can foam on the beach can look fairly. I remember being at the beach myself, and you'd see foam, and you'd go, "Well, what's caused that?" Because it can't be anything nice. I used to think that foam must have been caused by pollution, and I think that's wrong now. I think you can get natural foam in the sea, but I never sort of touched it because it seemed to me to be pretty grim and dirty, and probably quite chemically. So there's something about foam on a beach that's quite unsettling, uh, more so than maybe you know the foam that I, I think is a bit comical at times in in the seeds of. In the seeds of death they use it they use it quite well in the web of fear um but it, they do use the foam a lot don't they so i you have to knock a point off for that a little bit and that go should we use some should we use some foam again uh but i did like that episode ending as well uh, and the gas you know the choking on the gas uh, uh mm, i think i'm going to go for setting it by the sea and all that gives to us it gives us the tardis landing on the sea it gives us the foam on the beach and it gives us that sort of you know the unknown and what a title fury from the deep that might be one of my things actually later i think the title is superb is or is the title now fury from the deep it is a good title isn't it it is a good title it's not an invasion of the it's not a you know name of planet well they'd have to call it earth um it's and it's a it's a sort of you know it's not a literal title um and it was going to be called colony of devils which i rather like but as that has supernatural um undertones which i think they wanted to avoid because it's because again it would be a would be a metaphorical colony of devils and i know that he gets that sentence in in the in the book i think it's when van lutchens goes into the impeller and you know he's not going to come back out again don't you gary uh is is that he says you know it's a it's this mass of foam and see it was a colony of devils um fury from the deep i'm gonna go for the title because i think it's it's one of the more interesting and evocative and slightly different doctor who titles 
Um, there's not one quite like it. And I actually quite like seeing, you know, by Victor Pemberton, which we don't normally see on because we don't have any stories where, you know, that we have moving pictures for that says that. So, yeah, I'm going to go for the title, Fury from the Deep. Uh, I've never chosen the title before, but it's a good title, isn't it? Uh, what is Jess going to go for? It's unlikely that Jess is going to choose the title. Right, so my favourite thing of episode one. Well, we get off to a fast start with the Dr. Jamie and Victoria shot down and we're introduced to this refinery and its office intrigue, if you will, and the lovely couple of Harris and his wife Maggie and the terrifying cliffhanger at the end of part one. I really wish I could see that. I mean, I could go on and on and say things like that. But as the story gets tense and exciting, my favorite thing is at the beginning when the Dr. Jamie and Victoria have the foam fight on the beach. It's just such a good time. And they clearly like each other and are, are and trust each other and enjoy each other's company enough that they can be playful and silly if you did not know these characters at all and this was the first you saw of them i think you could so easily just fall in love with them and then be willing to go with them on the adventure just from there you'd be more open to it because of that opening scene it sure helps that there's some awesome waltz music from Dudley Simpson underneath. But that scene just seems so fun. And as I say, it it makes me just ready. Even though it gets pretty grim from there not long after, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful start and such a pleasing and fun beginning to this story, which won't actually have a lot of laughs in it. So I love that start. Ah, Interesting. Good choice. Um, I'm I'm always in two minds about that scene because uh, and, and Jess has actually helped to convince me of its its merits because much as I love Troughton and Hines and Watling horsing about and I think the dynamic between the three of them in this story is excellent uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a, a lot in future installments. Uh, it always felt to me like playing in the foam sort of seemed to undermine the foam. You're kind of going yeah foam's quite funny and silly isn't it now of course it's then clever to take something that's funny and silly and make it the you know the cuckoo spit of something completely horrific um and and i can see the logic behind that so i don't know why i kind of feel in my gut that it's that that sort of playfulness within the the the, the very form of that the that the menace itself will take um is is somehow a, a misstep even though it's in in great hands so jess actually articulates it his position better than i can articulate mine but i i would never you know sometimes people choose a thing and i go oh i was going to choose that i don't think i would have chosen that scene much as i love chuck Troughton and and co um and much as i love the sense of fun that doctor who has it's part of its appeal um, that's always been a bit where I felt like, oh no, I'm, I'm I'm waiting to get to the story proper, and you know they're they're squandering some of their film allocation on horseplay. Ah, get on with it, you know. 
Um, and in fact, when he was talking, I was thinking, is he going to choose the sonic screwdriver? Because that's a momentous occasion in Doctor Who history. So momentous. Uh, Michael Bryant said it was his idea. Victor Pemberton said it was his idea. Uh, <laughs> um, Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. Um, uh, so I wouldn't have chosen that, but I, I think Jess has made me feel better disposed towards that scene than, than my sort of inbuilt prejudice that hasn't really got a reasonable explanation behind it so that's i've i've been educated once again a courtesy of the quiz of rassilon <laughs> uh, so good so i mean i look this is going to be quite a personal journey for me as i say and so i don't expect to win this one but I never win anyway, so but I mean, that's hardly worth commenting upon. Uh, it's not like I go in thinking, this is going to be the one. Uh, he's, there's no way he's not going to choose the, the Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill scene from episode two. I mean, there's no way. Surely he's not going to choose the Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill scene from episode two and thereby hangs a tail. But um, look, I think I've gassed on long enough for this week. <laughs> I could do that joke for the massacre as well, but but it would be the source of the joke would be different. I think I've gassed on uh, for too long. I remember when I get to do the massacre, I'll do that joke again. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to turn off the flow. Mr. Robson would be very, very annoyed. And I will speak to you next time. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a heartbeat. Well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest for Fury from the Deep is Jess Jerkovic, who you can find on Twitter at Jess Jerkovic. And he also has a Patreon and a Ko-fi and a YouTube channel, which you really should avail yourselves of. It is one of the best Doctor Who related things out there. It's sheer joy. I'm grateful to Jess and I'm grateful to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Kevin Murdoch, Jonathan Molyneux, Christopher Joyce, Christopher Sharp, Paul Goodridge, Paul Murphy, Andrew Snedden, Rick Moran, Mark Swan, David Hughes, Grant Davidson, Simon Barker, The Missing Episodes Doctor Who Podcast, Andrew Fordham, Neil Allen, Paul Carrington, Chris Stokes, Stephen, Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, and Paul Burns. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. The Deadly Simpson is Doctor Who Project is on my YouTube channel. Uh, my username is Jester, two S's, Jester to Jazz. But search my name, Jess Jerkovic, and it's pretty easy to find me for that reason. So, yes, do go and avail yourself of the delights that Jess puts on to the internet. I'm not a particularly musical person but uh, God, I used to I, I mean I used to record prolonged bits of Doctor Incidental music off the telly and listen to them I, my, my sister used to come in and just pull her face and go wow it just sounds awful it's dirge and it was not just the music it was the quality and all of that sort of stuff and now to be able to have a professional musician play it and uh, you know there's somewhere that you can go and do that and as I say I'm not particularly musical anyway lovely Jess uh, it exudes such a lovely energy um, but uh, if you would like to contribute to this particular internet manifestation of 
Doctor Who appreciation. Jess, you know, uses great musical skill and insight and the mastering of, of technique and an understanding of, uh, uh, you know, phrasing and playing and, you know, placing of different notes and rhythms and tempos, whereas I look at a screen and talk out loud. <laughs> so you can go and you can go and support Jess or you can you can uh, come to my Patreon page <laughs> when you decide which which is the one that really needs supporting. <laughs> if I haven't if I haven't managed to talk you out of coming to my Patreon page, you can get advanced releases, bonus material. Yeah. Waffle six months earlier than other people get waffle. You can get me waffling your name in the end credits. Uh, all for three pounds a month, uh, or uh, higher tiers. Get other things, but most stuff is available at three pounds a month at Patreon. dot com forward slash Toby Haydock. You could also go to Kofi and support me that way without um, signing up for a monthly commitment, which is what Patreon is. Uh, but if you sign up for a year with Patreon, you get ten percent discount no matter what tier you're on. However. Kofi uh, has none of that obligation, but it also has none of the bonus material, advanced material, or a podcast unique to Patreons. But it is a is a way of you showing your appreciation financially if that's the sort of thing that you like to do. And it seems to be the model that creators are adopting these days, and I am uh, shouldn't be ashamed of that. But you can tell that I kind of am because I've just brought it up right now at the same time as throwing my cap uh, at my feet and busking away. But there we go. That's what I do. So, uh, Kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. But look, uh, I know the price of. I mean, I mean, the worst. The worst thing that can happen to you with gas now is not that uh, there's a seaweed creature in the pipe ready to take over your wife. Uh, it's that the bill could arrive on your doorstep and be five times what it was six months ago. So I know that times are tough. But what costs you nothing is to go to iTunes and give these five stars, especially if you live in Australia, please. Um, five stars uh, and a review, uh, especially if you live in Australia, please. But wherever you are, um, if you could say nice things about this, if you don't like this, I'm presuming you stop listening by now. And if you don't like this and you're still listening, you're insane. The, the Internet has literally everything on it. But if you like this, uh, and you would like me to keep doing it and think that the least I deserve is not to feel crap about it. Perhaps you could uh, uh, say some nice things. That costs you nothing. Uh, costs you nothing apart from a little bit of your time. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's cheap fuel um, with which to, to, to motor my mouth. Um, so, yeah, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you get these and spread the word on the Internet, on Twitter, everywhere that you go in cyberspace it would be very handy for me to have you saying uh, nice and encouraging and positive things. Thank you very much. I'm on Twitter uh, at Toby Haydock. These podcasts are on at Haydock Podcasts. And uh, my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, is in Manchester at 8pm every Tuesday at the Breadshed. And there's an archive of our online shows that we did during the lockdown at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey. We will be doing other stuff with that channel, but I'm not quite sure what. 
but uh, it's all to play for, isn't it? As the internet becomes a way that people uh, now get their entertainment that is becoming increasingly tailored uh, towards what you want uh, rather than um, four channels scheduling stuff at certain times and you have to choose you having to choose your least least favorite of, of the four that's what it was like well it was three when i was lad i remember when channel four was new uh anyway you lot you don't know you're born you want you you want a a, a a broadcast about what it's like to go angling in a pink hat on the third sunday of every month whilst eating a particular brand of chocolate there's probably a podcast for you if you want one where it's a middle-aged man waffling and mixing half-remembered facts with half-remembered childhood activities and a general sort of frothing enthusiasm well you've come to the right place except for now um because we've come to the end but thanks for listening uh even to the post credits nonsense <laughs>